0: I have a short question in between. Okay. Um, what's about magic mushrooms and halos again, drugs? Um, what do you think about the the, the culture um, importance of, of these like magic mushrooms, for example, because it, it is for thousands of years um, um, not developed, but um, it was going with the human race since ever um, – there, there, there are humans on on this planet. Mm-hmm. There were the magic mushrooms, and it uh, ha, ha, evolves something. And can you say something about that?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, drugs in general, um, some drugs do indeed put you into an altered state of consciousness. They do indeed, uh, if they will you know, blast you into non physical reality. And it's not that that's just a hallucination they really put you into the non-physical reality that's a that is an effect they they have again it has to do with the rule set and uh, that's the nature of those plants now is that a good thing for people to do or not is usually the question i get what do i think about the you know the advantages or disadvantages of that i think in general there's many more disadvantages than there are advantages. The only advantage I've ever come across where people uh, got something real positive out of it is where they had the drug experience, saw the larger reality, got a sense of the way things work, and that made them have the initiative and the drive to learn how to meditate, to, to uh, develop their own consciousness. That I think then is a positive thing. But where one takes the drug to have the experience and then takes the drug again to have the experience and keeps taking the drug to have the experience, I think that generally degenerates into doing something because it's a gee whiz, wow experience. Sort of like getting on a roller coaster. You can go to the fair, you get on a roller coaster, and wow, that was an experience. You know, you uh, thought for sure you were going to shoot right off you know, and crash, and you didn't, and You know, it's a big, a big adrenaline rush and so on. And then you can get back on that roller coaster again and do it again. Experience just by itself is not all that useful. It is in as much as if it's a wake up call. If you have an experience and the experience says, wow, reality is a lot different than I thought. I need to find out about this. And then you go to learn under your own steam how to, get to know and and use all the capacity you have as consciousness, then that experience was a good experience. But if you're just having the experience to have the experience, then that's just an ego wanting to have a big experience. Those experiences will for a while be really new and, and nifty, but pretty soon they will be, you know, variations, similar kinds of experiences and you're not learning the, the the you're not learning the process of developing your consciousness you're taking a drug and it's blowing you into another reality system it's not until you have the discipline and the desire and the quality to develop that consciousness that you get to go whenever you want to and how you want to and where you want to and learn the things you want to and where you can turn it into something that is really educational in a deeply changing way, whereas just being blasted into a larger reality and coming back and saying, wow, that what a trip, and then being blasted in again and coming back and say, well, that was a good trip too. and A lot of that just eventually becomes ego. It's, no, it's not so much changing you at a deep level. You see, it's, um, it's not learning. It's not making it yours. It's not really your experience. It's something that's given to you by the drug and then taken away when the drug wears off. It's not your knowledge. It's not your ability to uh, uh, interact on a conscious level in a larger reality frame. There's a drug blasting you in that frame and then jerking you back when it's done. So it's just a real big difference there. From If you go under your own power, if you learn it, if you evolve and, and whatever, you'll find that you become love. You become higher quality just for the process of learning to do this. It helps you grow up because you keep seeing bigger and bigger pictures. It's different than going to a movie and seeing a bigger picture on the screen. Okay, you come out. And you say, "Wow, I've never been to Tibet before," and this was a movie about Tibet. What scenery? What people? You know, what kind of what critters they had there, and but it doesn't change you at the being level. If you actually go to Tibet and walk in those trails and go up those mountains and live with the people, now you're changed at the being level. You're a different person. There's a there's a big difference between the experience of doing something and actually, you know, the experience of, of, um, you know, like seeing the movie and the actual being there. Well, it's the same thing with the drug. Your drug experience is like seeing the movie. Okay. You get a look at it, but it doesn't really change you too, too much at the being level other than to wake you up. So it's a wake up call. Good. If it's, you do it a few times just to kind of see how the larger reality is. That's okay. But after that, it actually can be a problem. I've noticed that people who do drugs routinely no longer have the patience for learning how to develop their own consciousness because that takes a long time. It may take them years to do that. And what they really want is the experience, not to develop their consciousness. And just wanting the experience as opposed to wanting to develop your consciousness Becomes a dead end and actually can be more damaging than not, because now it 's harder for you to develop your consciousness because you no longer have the patience for it, you no longer have the stamina to do that because you want to get to the end point too quickly, and developing your consciousness is not a quick thing, so well, mostly I think it's it's harmful in that sense, if overdone, can be good as an initiator, but then you also have to deal with the fact that in many places it's illegal, which makes it a, uh, a risk that you have to be willing to take. And that is not necessarily a very good risk when what you really need to be doing is developing your consciousness, not having an experience. Let the experiences come as your consciousness grows, because eventually it'll be so much better than that drug. Then when you look back, that drug will be like a like a, a roller coaster rod. Interesting, but not at all like it is when you're in control, when you can do what you want, see and hear, and connect and go and see things and explore, and it's all done by you growing up. Not because you swallowed a pill and, and bang, you know, there you are and then and get pulled back. So one you're really developing yourself. The other one, you're just having experiences. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm not going to say it's all all drugs are bad. Nobody should ever take one. But beware, if they're illegal, it can uh, cause you a great deal of misery. And two, don't go too deeply with them or too often. Otherwise, it'll make your own growth more difficult.
0: Um, Last question in between, if I can. Sure. Um, Do you have any information about the... um, even if I know it's all virtual, at least, so the brain is virtual, everything that the brain produces is virtual, but there's the pineal gland, produces DMT, dimethylthryptomid, every night when you go to sleep. What's about that? Do you have any information?
1: Well, it does, and uh, DMT is one of those drugs that I was talking about that will blast you into another reality frame. You know, it's not, uh, It's not. it's not just... Hallucination—it's really putting you in some other reality frame. Um, dreaming is a natural thing that we need to do. If that DMT is connected with dreaming, then that would make perfect sense. Dreaming is just another reality frame in which we get to make choices and grow up. So it's a—it's a very valuable frame because we're constrained here in this physical reality, you know, we're only going to have a, hopefully a certain set of experiences. You know, we're not going to have every day, real big dramatic experiences where our choices are unbounded in a dream. Our choices are pretty much unbounded and we can have all sorts of, of very dramatic experiences, um, which we can't or not likely to have here in this buttoned down reality. So the dreaming reality gives a much more unfettered space In which to experience and make choices and we can get choices there that we're just not going to have here and we can get lessons there that we wouldn't be able to have here so it's another reality frame for us to grow up in and as i said uh as we as we started this uh with uh ingeborg that uh we you know we need all these reality frames none of them are more or less real than the others so the dream frame is a good frame for us to get into and fortunately Our bodies are made such that we all get into that dream frame just quite naturally. We don't have to learn to do anything to get there. All we have to do is close our eyes and go to sleep and then be aware of that dreaming. We have to care about that dreaming and be interested in it. Then we start to remember them all. And that's all it takes. So if that's accomplished because of the DMT that uh, gets uh, secreted nightly, I didn't know that, but if that's a connection, then, uh, I think that's, that might make sense, but we are programmed to do that. It's just another place. It's just another place to, to make choices and a place we need. It'd be, it'd be hard if we, it'd be much harder to grow up. If we didn't have dreaming, we'd do a lot of our precursor, a lot of our getting ready for what happens here, but what happens in our dreams, so this place would be a tougher place to grow up in if we didn't have those dreams to uh, to practice in.
0: There's a good book I, I have never read. It's Rick Strassman, The Spirit Molecule, DMT. Yes,
1: yes. I've read that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've read I've read that book, and one of the things that you should notice about that book, and when I was about halfway through it, I I made the prediction, and uh, it came true at the end, and that is, he looked at his subjects that he had given DMT to and and followed them. And some of his subjects, he did that many times over some years. And he made an effort to see, did it really change their life any at the end? So when his experiment was done, he went back to these people and researched whether or not it had affected their life. How had it changed them? Were they different people now making different choices Were they had, they really grown up and changed. And the answer he got back was no, they really hadn't grown up and changed. And as he was setting up his experiments and I was reading about halfway through the book, that's what was in my head. Well, it's going to be real interesting. The hope he follows and sees what these people do, because I suspect that, in the end, it won't have really changed them and made much difference. Now, it made more difference to some than to others, but the general outcome of that study was no long-term results. So everybody had a really good time, and when they were having these experiences, they they said that these experiences were life-changing, you know, peak experiences of their whole lives. But when it got down to it and you asked them, five years later or two or three years later, whenever he did that, you know, what's the impact it's had on your life? It was not much of anything. So that's the point I was making earlier. It, it's different than growing your growing your being is a different thing than taking a drug to get you into to another reality system. The one of them is a growing thing and makes you different. And the other one is a set of experiences that come and go like experiences come and go. It's not you're not working on changing yourself. You're just experiencing things. So his book kind of validated that that uh, idea that I had that that's the way it that's the way it would work out.
0: Um, I'm not pretty sure because this 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 is a deep deep question to myself. But I, I used to take um, a lot of hallucin hallucinogenic drugs in my life. And I'm not sure if I would meet you, uh, how I meet you right now. If I wouldn't do that, I, I, I don't know how my life would would go in different directions. But um, this drug, especially LSD, uh, changed my life in, in in such a hard way, um, because I, I stayed um, like, like a child, so so my whole life was like staying, um, seeing everything like with the child's eyes. And every time I, I missed it, I, I took the drug. And it, it came into my pure day life. It, even if I, if I haven't taken any drugs, it's already changed my person and my community. I'm not the cr- crazy guy, but I'm the special guy. And that's what the drug made out of me. So I, yeah. I don't... I, you, you, you know what I wanted to say. Yeah,
1: I? yeah I, I suspect it would have been very different had you not taken the drug. You would have taken a different path entirely. And I would suggest that your potential for growth is greater without the drug than it is with the drug because it requires a lot more work on your part to become grown up and a lot more effort and the growing is really kind of different. Now, it, it changed you, yes, but uh, I suspect the uh, change would have, been, would have been different. And it could have been that if you hadn't taken the drug, you would have just uh, never really gotten involved in spiritual things at all. You may have just, you know, gotten a job, uh, two and a half children, uh, you know, live in the suburbs, work in a factory, and that may have been your whole life. Well, that's possible too. It's nobody, you, you can't tell what could have happened you know, that, that you didn't do. But it also may have been that you did have an interest in spiritual things, which is what maybe led you to be interested in a drug to ha- begin with, and that you would have developed the capacity to experience those realms in a way that was un- was under your control, in a way that you could learn from, in a way that was consistent, in a way that would have given you a much more coherent bigger picture than usually the kind of fractured bigger picture you get from, from drug experience. Now I'm just making that up. You know, I don't know you, you've lived it, you know, but there's no way to know what would have happened if you did something different. That's just the way it is. Well, there is a way. You can go back into those history databases. If you have that discipline in your mind where you can go into the databases and, and, um, query them you can go back and ask that question what if i had taken a different route where would i be what my what were my would be my experience set then and you just look at the probabilities it doesn't mean that actually would have happened it just means that's what the most likely thing was if you ask for the most likely so there is a way to, to check on that but uh, you need to have the discipline and able to to, to do that uh, it's nothing you'll get out of a drug experience that that requires your own. Um, discipline and practice. So anyway, no way to tell you are where you are. And what's important is what you do with what you've got. And the choices you make from this moment forward are really what's important. What exactly got you to this place that you are now, that's water under the bridge and uh, really doesn't matter anymore. You're here. That's great. Now you have choices to make. How are you going to make them? That's what's important. All the choices you made before, ah, eh, history, accept them. Don't, don't begrudge any of them. Don't, you know, don't look back at any of them and, and, and cry over the spilt milk. Just, they are what they are. You, you are what you are. Now it's forward and making choices from here on. That's the, that's the key.
2: Thank you so much. Tom, before we move on, um, is the source field that Ford mentioned earlier on in his second question comparable to the morphogenetic field? And if so, are both comparable to the LCS?
1: Well, yes. This field thing, you know, there, my my view on fields is there really is no such thing as a field, you know, and uh, there are effects. This is a virtual reality, and we we measure effects. And then because we like to think it's physical, we think these effects are created by fields. The the effect has to propagate from this point to that and It has to propagate physically through physical space. That's just a belief we have that makes us feel good because it shows physical process. Whereas in a virtual reality, you just have information at various points in space. So at this point, you get this information. And at that point, you get different information. And you don't really need a field to cause physical process from one to the other. So all of these fields, I think, are uh, non-existent. But that doesn't mean that the effects are non-existent. Indeed, if I have a positive charge right here, where is my hand so you can see it, right here, if I have a positive charge here, then up in this direction, there's going to be a, a force on another positive charge. Well, and science would say there's a field. It's an electric field that makes that force. Well, that's a belief. There's a a different force at every point in space, and that's part of the information relative to that charge into space that you get in a virtual reality. It's just computed. It doesn't uh, require a mathematical field to make it go someplace. So anyway, yes, I think when you get down to it, it's all virtual reality, and it's the way the rule set works, Keith it's, it's, it's all based on consciousness and it's all digital. It's all information. So yes, we do have interactions between people and things and between consciousness and consciousness, like in uh, the morphic field that um, Rupert Sheldrake uh, uh, does experiments with where he's home and his, No, his dog is home, and he's out wandering around someplace, and the very moment he decides to turn around and go home, his dog gets excited. So the idea is that the morphic field carried that information from him to his dog. Well, that's not really the way it works. There is no morphic field, but there is information, and it does go from him to his dog, but it's consciousness to consciousness. Consciousness that is focused on another consciousness gets that information. Now, we call that sometimes intuition, but intuition can be a very strong and exact thing if we develop it. If you're a dog, you have to develop those kinds of skills more than people have to develop those kinds of skills. So it's not surprising that a a dog has good intuition. That's just conscious to consciousness communication. It doesn't really require a field. But yes, I think these things, if you have an aware plant, then that would be an awareness of a flame coming closer to it. And that would be an awareness it might have. And that awareness might cause some of its chemistry to change and its resistivity to change. So I can see that might be a, you know, maybe Clive Baxter may have gotten it just right. That was the plant's response.
2: All right, Tom, thanks thanks for clarifying that. Um, We heard earlier from Sveta, who had uh, a message she wanted to give you. She didn't have a question at the time, but she does now. Uh, Sveta, it's about visions, isn't it? Yes, um, it's a
3: rather long question, um, but I'll try to do it. This is a question. Um, I'll try to do it as calmly as possible. Okay, so all this started from me um, listening to your tape where you start very slowly and you say meditation is the most natural thing for everybody, blah, blah, blah. Somehow it knocked me off immediately. Like I started to meditate. Um, But then this practice, I started to do it better and better and better and uh, it exceeded my all expectations really and it doesn't really stop at any level I, I, It's just growing and growing and growing so the first thing i did i went to psychiatrist well, of course i said something stupid i said you know i never felt better and he said that is what i'm worried about and i said i see visions <laughs> And he said, that is what I'm worried about. And it, and he starts <laughs> typing and everything, medication and everything. And, and so yeah. I'm just like, okay, you're going to label me, that's fine. Uh, I feel fine. You know, I know what's bipolar, I know things about psychology, psychiatry. And I don't feel that it's it. Um, so... <sighs> I went back to my uh, meditation and I started, the only thing I was lacking was that final validation that would, uh, that I would stop doubting, you know, something, I I was like praying, like please send me some miracle, send me one miracle so that I have no doubts anymore about all this magic is happening around me while I'm meditating. Mm -hmm. Um. So, when I ask that uh, question, <laughs> I re- magic started to happen like crazy in the form of visions. Definitely not something I could come up with ever. Like for example, all of a sudden, I see the eagle riding Capricorn. And I don't know anything, like I I was searching Google for this image. There is nothing. It's not detected in humans' history, this particular image. It's very forceful. It just, it forces me not only paint it, but also share it with other people, which I always nervous about. But, you know, I have a group, Jungian, and we discuss visions and dreams Mm -hmm. and stuff. So in addition to that synchronicity, meaningful consequences, like for example, I'm thinking about something and somebody's writing, uh, I saw you in my dream today and you said this and this and this. And many things like that uh, combined together, it's just like it's a little bit more than I can handle with my uh, like lack of knowledge maybe. So my question is, what do you think it all means in um, terms of MBT? Is it channeling or like I understand I need to um, discipline myself and learn more about it and practice? Um, but do you see anything dangerous? Like, do you see that I'm in danger, for example, okay. <laughs> of visions being over flooded?
1: No, I don't see it's dangerous. So you asked the question. You wanted to see something that would make you understand that it was real. It was outside of you. Something you weren't making up, and you got that. And you probably in got abundance. more. Yeah, and abundance. Yeah, you got it and got it and got it. Uh, you got it so much that it was very hard for you to say that all these individual things, you know, were just uh, parts of your imagination. Because, like you say, you are an artist, I believe, mm-hmm. and. These images, you know, were not something you created because they weren't in you. That's not part of you. They were outside of you. So clearly you're getting information from some source other than yourself. And why would you do that? Well, because the consciousness system sees that here's a person who is ready to grow. Here's a person that's ready to see a larger reality. They are primed for it. They're asking for it. And uh, so then the system decides (laughs) to work with you. They say, Uh okay, we can help her. We can help her see this. And what they did is because you are an artist, they work with images. That's a very good thing to work with. And they send you images and these images may have meaning. The the meaning for the image may come later after the image. You may uh, connect it to something or you may... Oh,
3: yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so that's just... They're just there trying to get you to feel relaxed and familiar and accept that this is the way reality is. That this is, there is a larger consciousness system out there and it is working with you. And you're getting these things. And if you can just relax and accept that that is the case, now I don't mean believe it. I just mean accept that that is what you're experiencing. Not a matter yeah, of believing like that. it or not believing it. It's just a matter of saying this is what's I'm experiencing. And be open to it and be open for it to change. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid, because you ask a question which was, you know, give me a sign, right? Let me know that this is not just something I'm making up and you got a result. <laughs> and that'll be true for most of your questions. If you ask a question that is on the path of you to grow then you'll probably get some good information back and it probably won't take very long. It may may not be the information that you were expecting and it may not be in the form that you were expecting it. But but you'll get it just the same. So you Mm -hmm. just be open to that and be glad that the system has found you, recognized that you are ready, and is working with you. So just be open to learning what you can learn. And as you get these images, think, what can I learn from this? What is the lesson? What, What is the lesson here that I'm learning? And then you'll find that once you kind of got the lesson, it'll change because you don't need to do that anymore. You already have that lesson. So as you internalize the lesson, understand it and you go there, then your whole thing is going to change. You'll start getting different different sorts of things.
3: Like what, for example, what can be bigger than this? Like will <laughs> I start flying or will I disappear from this plane? I can't even imagine bigger happiness than this.
1: Yeah, well, then uh, you, you'll you just have to be surprised, but things will happen. It's Ooh. hard to tell. It's very personal to you. It'll be something that will mean something to you, And it may not be a big thing to anybody else, but it, it'll be something that will have a big meaning to you. So you're just at the beginning of launching this um, learning period and be open to it. Look for your lesson. What should I learn from this? How yeah. can I grow from this? How does this make me better? How do I get a bigger picture? From all of this,
3: yeah, just I'm not kinda, there for a ride for sure. Yes, <laughs> you
1: know, so. so you're doing the right thing. Just uh, don't let it overwhelm you. Um, mm. It overwhelms you at first because you didn't realize it was all there, and uh, mm. this realization is a really big, really big deal that all of this is here, and I'm getting it. I'm getting it, you know, not somebody else. It's my experience. I know, like I believe
3: in miracles, but miracles happening to me, that's hard to believe, you know.
1: Yeah, so just accept that it is what it is and now have a focus on what can I learn from it. Mm -hmm. And as you have questions, put those questions out there and you will probably get answers because the system is aware of you. They're aware of your effort and trying and it'll work with you.
3: There are many, many entities and uh, imaginary friends uh, that I have now. I used to have them before, but I didn't distinguish them. Now I have names. Now I can mm-hmm. distinguish different voices. Like I have a poet that all of a sudden starts speaking in rhymes, which I never learned, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: I have a painter and I have uh, all these parts of me or it's different entities. What is it?
1: Uh, could be both. The point is, it doesn't really matter. Don't get uh, twisted around the the idea of you want to know who are these people and why are they there and these sorts of things. That's a kind of a holdover from being in this reality. That's the way we act in this reality. If somebody walks into your house, you want to know who are they and why are they there but, and what do they want. Yeah. You see, but this is different. I don't feel,
3: I don't feel them being negative at all.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. this is di- this is different. They they are parts of you that the system is maybe showing you, just so you are more acquainted with you, the whole person. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be uh, interfaces with the system in different aspects that re- that you can relate to differently. That's why they have a different kind of a little different motif or a different being for the various. Um, points and ideas, and they may be trying to draw you out in certain ways, but for all of it, just let it come. However it is, let it be, you know, whatever the beings are, whatever they say, however you communicate with them, always be open to them. Always be skeptical of whatever you get and always ask the question, how can I grow from this? How does this make me a better person? How can I use this to grow up? And if you get an answer, I can't use it anymore. Okay, I used it initially because it helped open my eyes, but it's really not giving me anything too useful anymore. Then let it go, and uh, you, know, you can let it be known. Use your intent to say, uh, "Can we move on? <laughs> you know, what else
3: what do I heck? need
1: to work oh, yeah. on? You know." And then <laughs> you're you're in a you're in a class, and the class is going to be custom designed just for you. So, uh, and you get to, you can, you can have that custom design change to suit you. So it's a really, it should be a really happy and good time for you. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, feeling to be.
3: Right. But my dad wor- worried. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, they tend to do that. And you should tell him next time. I think you worry too much. You know, <laughs> your worry is worrying
3: me. You worry Maybe you much. need some medication.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, you don't need medication. You just need to uh, go with that flow and see where it takes you. Your skepticism will make sure that it always takes you to a good place. If you're not learning and growing from it, if it isn't loving and caring, and it's not a good place, then you need to turn it off. Um, As long as it's taking you to a good place, which means you're learning and growing from it, then enjoy it, be with it, uh, engage it. When you get a voice that tells you something, ask it questions, uh, interact with it. Uh, it's it's there for you to, to use.
3: Thank
1: you. you and there is, no, there is no danger. The only danger is your fear. If you have no fear, fear. No and fear. you get frightened of it and you start thinking, am I going crazy? You know, is this... Is this evil spirits? And, you know, you get yourself into a fearful loop, then you can do yourself some harm. But Can I tell you
3: one story? Uh, I met evil, ooh, devil. He was with a red face and everything. And and I didn't, I wasn't afraid at all. I was just looking, I was very interested uh, to meet him. And he had this face like he was trying to scare me. And all of a sudden he just like broke into laughing. You know, so the visions are not just pictures, but they are right. moving, they are sure. evolving, and I and think that was it was a, very
1: fun. That was a fear test. Mm-hmm. wanted to see what your level of fear was, and it sounds like you passed the fear test. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you pass, <laughs> that goes, it goes away or it starts to laugh or something changes. <laughs> That's a... That's it's fun. Her.
3: It's a lot of fun. Thank you for the. Yeah. It wouldn't happen without you, of course. Never.
2: You're Thank welcome. You very much. Tom, there is a. Um, there's a fantastic British drama that Donna and I are watching at the moment. It's called River with Stellan Skarsgård. It's about a cop in London who can talk to the dead, and he should be listening to them more. Um, so anyone who can watch that on, on Netflix or anything like that, we would recommend you check that out. That's really kind of cool. Um, we're going to move on to a question about metaphysical interactions from Lazy Vulpes. Um I've done my homework, by the way. After the last month of doing word pronunciations, I've been checking up all my words today to make sure we, we don't make mistakes. Um, it's a long question. I'm going to read out the whole thing again. I have a question regarding metaphysical interaction, intent, and metaphysical aptitude. If power is equal to metaphysical aptitude and pure is equal to accordance with the LCS, then is power relative to pureness? Is my interaction with other IUOCs more powerful if my intent is in accordance with the logic of the LCS? Can I, for example, provide protection of a free will awareness unit or an IUOC, no matter what the prowess of intent from those beings wishing to harm the said FWAU or IUOC in question? I read a post the other day about how other beings were affecting the US presidential candidates. Hmm. Okay, I didn't think this fair, so I jumped into action, protecting both Donald and Hillary from both positive and negative interactions with other beings than their designated guides or whom was not equal to or higher than the QOC of Tom's. Now, they're going to put in a disclaimer here. They're saying, I'm not sure if I'm insane or if this is real, but it doesn't matter protecting donald was easy hillary was harder and somewhat disgusting so i asked tom for help metaphysically regarding hillary the next day and the following days it was a piece of cake to protect both of them it felt like a lot of low qoc beings were trying to affect hillary or that hillary was herself just a horrid monster so is metaphysical aptitude equal to qoc quality of consciousness. Is the power of intent relative to QOC as measured by similarity to the logics of the LCS?
1: Um, Well, the answer to that question is yes. Um, If what you're doing is something that is on your path to growing up, if what you're doing is making choices, doing things, you know, it requires a choice to do something. <laughs> when you're doing something, that doing follows a choice. And that, that, uh, that choice is expressing an intent. So intent is at the root of all of these actions and doings, the, the things that you did with the candidates and everything else you do starts with an intent. And if that intent is one of love and of caring and of being helpful, then the, the success you will have in the, with that intent will be much greater. So yes, if it's on your path to growth, and if it's a caring, loving intent, then it will carry much more energy than if it is a intent born out of your fear and expressed by your ego. If that's the source of it, then it'll be a very weak intent that will do very little. So the answer to the the basic question is uh, the the right intent is a more powerful intent than a than a fear based or wrong intent. Yeah, that makes sense. But he, yeah, but he should not jump to too many conclusions about what it means. And he was right there when he said. Well, I wondered, you know, whether it was this way or that way, and what it all meant. But you know, it doesn't. That's not important anyway. You know, he made that little comment. Just stay with the idea that it's not important anyway. Do what you do. Be aware and perceive, um, you know, what you can. But don't tend to jump to conclusions about what it all meant or why it happened the way it happened. If you do that, you're very likely to trick yourself into believing something based on that kind of an assumption. So just have the interaction, do it, and don't um, try try to then make a story to justify it. Let the story go and just do what it is your intent moves you to, moves you to do, but trying to say, well, then that meant that, you know, Donald was this way or Hillary was that way. And that meant that these other things, a lot of caution on that. A lot of those that meant are things that are coming out of ego and, uh, fear. They're hard to separate. You generally don't get a lot of that mints when you're out there. The information you get is all about your intent and what it is you do and how you're going to apply that intent to your action. And uh, you can you can get some feedback on how effective you were and that sort of thing. But uh, as you try to make a story to justify it and make it seem reasonable, those stories are mostly not true. It'd be better just to be very skeptical of any story that goes with it. Just l- live with the uncertainty and go on is a better way to approach it.
2: Okay. Thanks, Tom. Um, Listen, time is moving on, but we started late, so we're going to do one more. Tom, I don't know if you've got a chance to see the question origins, entropy or order from Bartosz. Um, It's quite a long question and there really is four or five questions in there, but it is the oldest question we have at the moment. So I really want to try and tackle it before we finish. Um, I'm going to read it and I'll, I'll give you the first question. Then we'll stop and maybe I'll ask the other questions as we go. Uh, Bartosz says, Hi, Tom. Going back to the mystical beginnings of consciousness and AUM, sometimes when you answer related questions, you bring up the chaos theory, which I interpret as you saying that the original void was pure entropy with pockets of random order, which allowed for the structure, logic, AUM information, or in short, our humble beginnings to exist. However, in contrast, when I read the forum, Ted Vollers brings up the void quite differently as he actually states from his description i interpret quite different optics an entirely undisturbed and calm perfect stillness which would point towards extremely low entropy but almost no information as well in his description the void quickens and thus we begin my questions he says my question but really it's multiple questions is therefore one did we originate out of complete chaos or out of of extremely low entropy. Should we start with that one?
1: Yes, and the difference between those two is the difference between different people's metaphors. okay You'll see that the ancient description that has the, the void as being empty and quickens, well, one might ask, what does that mean that it quickens? Well, what you have to start with is a vo- as a is this, uh, this void, Okay, has a lot of potential, okay, so that's what it means. It has a lot of potential, and when it quickens, that potential starts to actualize. You see, but we have to start with a void that is empty but full of potential, so it's empty of stuff, it's empty of um, you know products, but it's full of potential. It's a pregnant void with lots of potential now. That's one metaphor for that. And you can see that, and you can say that if it were everything there were random, well, then there again, there's no stuff, but there's lots of potential. And if you see randomness as nothing, there's no information. So by saying that it's random, you're really saying that there's nothing there. That's another way. Well, it's a different metaphor. So it's not that those two are in basic conflict with one another the metaphors are in conflict but not necessarily the intent behind the metaphor so i'd say that either one of those metaphors will work fine whether you consider randomness to be nothing or whether you call you know randomness uh, you know the void that had nothing in it until it quickened and that potential started to actualize or whether you have randomness in which has nothing uh, of any value to it uh, except potential, and then that potential begins to, you know, uh, uh, emerge. Instead of quicken, we'll say uh, the the potential emerges from that randomness. Your complexity emerges from the randomness, and uh, it's just two different sets of metaphors that are trying to say the same thing. So it's uh, it's not really a big uh, metaphorical metaphorical debate, other than which metaphor do you prefer?
2: Okay. Part two, if we it out of low entropy, then aren't we just propagating it? And in the end, when our journey is far ahead of today, won't we just return to the state of unquickened void? What is the point then if we seem to be the sole origin of chaos instead of the solution?
1: No, that, that logic doesn't work well because once you have, once something quickens or emerges, you know, quicken is just another way for saying emerge, um, the, the the mathematics of emergent complexity wasn't in existence when the uh, empty void quickened. <laughs> so they use different words, you see, but they mean the same thing. But once you get something that quickens or emerges and that thing then begins to evolve by lowering its entropy, it can become whatever it becomes. Now it is something else. It's not nothing. It's not a void. It's an emergent property that eventually becomes self-aware and then grows up through a lot of evolution to become what we now refer to as the larger consciousness system. So the larger conscious system didn't just start out as a larger consciousness system. It started out as, as this uh, uh, quickened or, or emerging uh, complexity, then it evolved probably a very long time before it got to what we now refer to as the larger consciousness system. You see, so you have this system. So this larger conscious system has is very complex. It has a lot of piece parts, us being some of those piece parts and the virtual reality being another of those piece parts. It's an information system. So it's not true that we just return to nothing. We're part of an emergent system that is, um, uh, a lower entropy system than the either randomness of the void or the nothingness of the void. It's not that we have to return to it and that we have to be part of it, that we must be random or we must be nothingness or whatever. That's, I don't think, a productive way of uh, thinking about it. Just think about it as there, once the void quickened, now there was something and that something evolved to being the larger consciousness system. Over eons and eons of time, now we have this system, and we're a piece part of that system with a job to do, and it does matter. you know we we are making progress as a system. overall, the whole system is lowering entropy, and it has to constantly work at lowering entropy just to stay even because entropy happens. you know Entropy just builds, it grows if you don't do any if you don't put any effort to keep it from growing. It grows. So it takes effort and growth just to stay even. And it takes more effort to get ahead. And we are getting ahead. So the system now is very different than it was. So this larger consciousness system is not just this quick and void. It's this quick and void that's been evolving for a long, long time into the larger consciousness system and all of its complexity and all of the things that it has going on.
2: Part three, Tom, which I think you've probably kind of answered, but we'll we'll go through it anyway. Uh, Perhaps it is meaningless whether we originated out of low or high entropy, but rather that neither state was capable of carrying useful information. Perhaps very low entropy was too organized to allow for much of anything else, an infinitely organized system that eradicated free will and became almost deterministic in a sense. I ask these questions because while it seems that we already have the answer to the question of what our purpose is, it may be worthwhile to examine what is behind the answer, the superset of what was before, what is now, and what will be after, if you will. Of course, we can always continue in the exponential growth fashion until, if we ever run up against a wall of sorts, then we'll know for sure. Thanks in advance, Tom. I'm sure your answer will bring something novel, as always, to the whole paradigm.
1: Yeah, well, the first uh, sentence there was uh, was a good one, and that is, uh, it doesn't really matter, uh, particularly to us uh, now, and where we are, and the choices we have today. Okay, we're working on these choices that are in front of us, day by day, and hour by hour, and that's what matters: is the quality of our of our choices. The rest of this is uh, uh, conjecture, and and uh, you know thinking about the big picture and there's nothing wrong with that that's a that's a good thing to do but it isn't really completely i mean it isn't really uh, that useful to us it's possible you see that a system could get to the point that entropy was so low that there was very little growth yet to be done you see but it'll never get to entropy being zero that's like getting to infinity you don't get to zero entropy you just approach it Like you can approach infinity, you can get asymptotic in your curve, but you never actually get there. Well, you do the same with with entropy. You can lower it and lower it, but you never actually get to zero. So you'll never get to a place where everything stops and there's no more motion, there's no more room to go forward. And in our system, there's so much uh, disorder and so much fear in the land that uh, worrying about when do we get to the point where it gets asymptotic and growth isn't uh, you know quick anymore is probably uh, a question that's not practical. Theoretically, I deal with it in the book by saying we really don't know what happens then, and I make some some uh, uh, what intended to be amusing uh, what ifs, and one of them was you know we're just one cell our whole larger conscious system is just one cell of a big Omosaurus. and then it gets to the point that it's asymptotic to uh, zero entropy and we're not making much changes anymore the whole thing gets gets uh, uploaded to the to the uh, a larger level and we start over or we go back to a point where, where there's more gains to be made or you know the whole system changes i mean we don't know so at that point, it's just kind of conjecture. It's fun to do conjecture, but it isn't important to the questions that we have now. So I don't think there's a problem that we're going to get to the point that there's no more room for growth. I believe that's kind of almost an impossibility. There's always new consciousness coming in at the bottom. It's not like we ha- there's a fixed number of IUOCs that will never change, and eventually they'll all be grown up. There's always new coming in. So we're always in a state of becoming. And as I say, you can't just get to a certain point of entropy and say, ah, we're done and kick back and figure you've, you've done it because as you do that, your entropy starts to grow. Entropy is something that just automatically increases without work being done to, to, uh, hold it at bay or to make it decrease. So there's always work to do. And the bigger the system the more work that needs to be done to make it go
2: forward. Indeed. Um, Tom, you know that we do have two or three more questions, but it is running a little bit late and I think we're going to leave it there. I do want to chat just briefly for people out there who are watching with what's going on with our cultural connection tour for a few minutes, if I may, and what MBT, uh, what we've got in the works coming up. Um, First of all, we've got to tell everyone that uh, Auckland, as you know, Tom, we've been talking about this. uh, We are looking for a new venue. Um, It started off with a gracious invite from our friend Kepper to go up to his marae up in the Coromandel in New Zealand, but unfortunately the logistics of such a remote location have made it unfeasible, so we are currently looking for a new location, um, a new venue, and we should have details of that coming up pretty soon. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to say a really big thank you to all those of you who have booked to attend the Frankfurt workshop. You guys the event is just about sold out and you have really made it possible for the whole tour to go ahead. So thank you. Some of you are here in the room today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Um, But you know, it has been difficult. I have to say it's been a real eye opener. We do need to sell more tickets. Um, Sydney is, is okay. We're doing all right for Sydney, Australia but Auckland and India and to a certain degree New York. So if you guys out there have got any ideas how we can market it anything you can think of to help us we would love to hear from you Uh, we are still working on the pacific northwest for next summer that would see us bring tom to portland oregon and vancouver british columbia a possible way of doing the european tour in 2018 and some other plans that we uh well we just can't go into details of at this time so watch this space thanks for joining us we'll see you again next time